Good evening, Muttley. Okay. We were waiting until uh, everybody who had been baptized had come back, but we have a feeling that... Uh, oh, are they? Oh, wonderful. We thought perhaps you were hair-drying and doing your nails and... Terrific. Well done. Okay, it's Easter Day, so let's hear some of the Easter story. I'm going to read from Matthew and chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word, and uh, we give him thanks. I have had two very special days. Yesterday, Janet and I were at a wedding in Bristol. There were 600 people there. There was a choir of 150 there was a band of 21 musicians. Jerry and Carrie were getting married and they are incredibly musical and I think they invited the whole musical world to come and join them. Uh, the father of the bride got a special clap because uh, he's got six children and he called this five down and one to go. So he got a clap, uh, but this was his eldest daughter and she's probably now in her early 40s and he never thought that he would be able to say, I do, for her. So there was probably a bigger clap for him than almost anybody else. The bride, who's very musical, Jerry Latty, she, she, she composed the entry music for coming down the aisle. And uh, there were drums, and everybody had to blow balloons up. And then when it started, we all had to let these balloons loose. And I'm sure there will be something on YouTube very soon. And going out, if any of you know... Richard Smallwood's great worship song, Total Praise. There was a fantastic black choir there, black singers, and they just took the roof off, and it was an amazing day. And tonight has been amazing. I tell you what, I'm in awe of people who can come up here. It's bad enough being baptized. 
but to come and have to say something before you're baptized, that takes courage. So I think another round of applause for these people. <clears throat> I, uh, I was at a baptismal service two or three years ago where there was a, a woman being baptized and she hated putting her face under water and she asked the pastor if she could wear water wings because she was so frightened of going into the water. Well, there were no water wings tonight. So thank you for giving me a second special day over this weekend. Over this weekend when we remember the special days of Easter, we remember Good Friday and, and this passage from Matthew says that all the male disciples, bar one, ran away and hid. And it was women who came and stood and watched Jesus die. It was women who came and watched his stone-cold body put in the tomb. It was women and frightened male disciples who lived through that Black Saturday. Good Friday when he died, Black Saturday when all their hopes were dashed. This was the man who had healed the blind. He had made the lame walk. He'd raised one man from the dead. Everybody when he taught came from miles around. The Bible says the common people heard him gladly because he talked about God and it made sense. When he entered on Palm Sunday on a donkey, everybody turned out to say, welcome to the king. But a few days later, the crowds were saying, shaking their fists, crucify him. And so on the day that he died, there were people watching from a distance and on Saturday, the day after he died, it must have been the blackest day of their lives. We can imagine that Peter, who had been the number one, the leader of the band, he had said three times, I don't know Jesus, never heard of him. And we understand that their mantra on that day was, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to save us. Nelson Mandela is uh, an old man now, 94, and uh, I'm not saying he's waiting to die, but one day he will. Great age, great hero. Jesus was 33 years of age. And on that Black Saturday, listen, we know how the story ends. They didn't. And on that Black Saturday, they must have thought all their hopes were dashed. That's why I think it took great courage for these two women. They were both Marys. We know more about one Mary, Mary Magdalene, than the other. They came to the tomb. As if you might go to the cemetery. I sometimes uh, go to see where my mum and dad are buried. Jan and I, if we're motoring along down by Worthing, we call into the cemetery. It's quiet. There are seats, people lying, laying flowers. And you come to remember somebody you love very greatly. That's why very early on Easter morning, the women had come to the cemetery to look for the tomb. And suddenly, in the quietness of this cemetery, there is a violent earthquake. And like lightning, an angel appears, dazzling. You have to hide your eyes. He comes and rolls the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to show the tomb is empty. And the guards who had been set there by Pilate, because people said, if you don't guard it, they'll steal the body. So these experienced battle-hardened soldiers who had set a seal on the tomb, they fall over like dead men. 
because this light that is blinding, this angel that has rolled the stone away, and they must have looked inside and seen the empty tomb. They're just lying on the floor like dead men. And these two women, the two Marys, they come and this is the sight that greets them. Is it any wonder then that the angel messenger says to them, don't be afraid. There was a lot to be frightened about. But the second invitation is this, compelling. Come and see. So what was there to see? Well, first of all, there was a changed world. That's what the empty tomb says. The changed world that God's kingdom has come in such power and force. And Jesus' words have been vindicated. See, Jesus said, if you go through Matthew, he said one day, and they couldn't have been listening, there's going to come a time when I'm going to be arrested and I'll be crucified, I'll be buried, but on the third day I'll rise again. He says it three times. On the first occasion, Peter says, that will never happen to you. And on the second uh, occasion, they get really troubled and said, don't talk like that, please, Jesus. And on the third occasion, this is the most amazing, the mother of two of the disciples, James and John, they come to Jesus. Uh, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I wonder when you come into your kingdom, could my boys have the most important seats alongside you? She hadn't been listening when Jesus said, there's going to come a day when I'll be arrested, crucified, buried, and on the third day I'll rise again. So, friends, the first thing we can say about this empty tomb, come and see, is that Jesus' words have been vindicated. He said it would happen, and it did. One of today's papers um, has a poll. You might be interested to know this. It says this, how much do you trust the following professionals to tell the truth? Top of the list, I won't ask you to put your hands up, the family doctor, 83%. So, have a warm glow and polish your halo tonight. If you're a family doctor, 83% of people say we trust our family doctor. If you're a teacher, you can polish your halo. 74% said they trust the word of a teacher. If you're a judge, my word, stand up if you're a judge, 66%. If you're a BBC News journalist, if you're here tonight, 61%. People like Andy and me, only 54% trust the word of a pastor. Bottom of the list, we did better than this, Andy, an estate agent. Are there any estate agents here this evening? <laughs> only 13%. I think that's terrible. I would never put my vote to say I would never trust the word of an estate agent. Listen, Jesus' word is absolutely reliable. In a world where we don't appear to trust everybody, you can trust him as absolutely and utterly trustworthy. Jesus said what would happen, and it happened. And that's why everything that you can read about Jesus, you can trust with your life. He diagnosed the biggest problem that we have. And this is the biggest problem. This is why he was born in Bethlehem lived the life among us, died on the cross, came back on Easter Day. The world's problem is it's not running the way God intended. You know as a human being, there are times when you feel sad and ashamed. And Jesus had a word about this. Your problem, he said, is a heart problem. Until Jesus cures the heart, the, the heart is desperately wicked. Even the best among us, our hearts are deceitful. And when you look around, as we do, 
and say the world is not the way it should be. Jesus comes and says, well, the reason the way is the world is not the way it should be is because we are choosing to run it our way. Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, is the, most, it's the favorite song of people at cremation services. Ask any crematorium, go down to Plymouth Crematorium and say to the person who runs the crematorium, what song is sung more often than any other song requested? I did it my way. It's one of the most favorite at karaoke evenings around the world. It's the most godless song. I'm sorry if it's your favorite song. Please don't choose it for your funeral. I did it my way is why things have gone wrong. At Easter, Jesus comes with his life, his death, his resurrection, and says, I'm going to do it God's way. And it's an invitation for everybody to do it God's way. You see, our problem is we have a broken relationship. This is the strange thing. This may be your life story, I don't know. Until we are healed by Jesus, we have this thing about God. We're fearful of God, and yet we're hungry for God. We don't really want to meet him. You may be here this evening, you've come under duress, or you're here to support somebody, or it's Easter day and that's why you're here. And you know that if you're honest. If I hold the mirror of God's word up, you say, I know both those emotions. What it is to be frightened of God, I don't want to get too near. And what it is to be hungry for God. It's possible to have good relations, as God intended, with people. But some of us are littered with broken relations. We don't know how to relate to people. And some of us know what it is to enjoy God's world, as God intended. And yet sometimes there is a gnawing ache in our lives. Is stuff, and handling more stuff, and accumulating more stuff... Is that all that life is about? And there is an ache for home. How many times have I heard as a pastor, sometimes at a baptismal service, when somebody comes forward, as I hope you will tonight, and says, I want to know more about Jesus, or I want to receive Jesus, or I want to come off the fence and be baptized. Somewhere in all that conversation, they will say, do you know, I feel as though I've come home. There's a guy called Anthony who... uh, stands outside in all weathers, Painton Tesco, the metro store there. And he sells big issues. And uh, if ever Anthony's there, I always buy a big issue of him. And off him. And if you go through the big issue, uh, at the back, most editions, there are pictures of people who've gone missing. Relatives who want to know, they name the person, there's a photograph of the person and I remember reading the story of somebody who uh, had gone missing and the family was so concerned they had a photograph printed and they put it all around all the clubs and the pubs and they put it on notice boards anywhere just hoping that this loved one would see them. And they put words underneath and the word said this, wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home because you're greatly loved. And that's the message of those who are longing to come home this Easter. That's why Jesus died. He died to say, whoever you are, whatever you've done, come home, you're greatly loved. And because this broken relationship with God is a very serious thing, we can't mend it on our own. You can't just decide, oh, well, I'll come home this evening. It's not as easy as that. Remember the words, you must know some stories in the Bible. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? who left home and despite of all the father's love and 
One day it says he came to his senses. He wanted to go home, but he had to stop. He knew he had to have a script, and he had learnt the script, and it was this, Father, I've sinned, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I want to come home. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Luke 15, you can read it, because you might find your own biography there. And Jesus is the one who enables us to come home. He's the one who heals the brokenness. He's the one who admits us back into the family home and into the family. A number of people this evening, as they gave their testimony, talked how grateful they are for the church family. It's wonderful to think you can be forgiven and to have that power, that new life that the Lord shares with us. So all you have to do this evening is to say, Lord, if you're offering that to me, I want to receive it. And with all my heart, why, why should I just be the privileged one? Why should these baptismal candidates, Pastor Andy and others, why should we just be privileged? The Lord says to you this evening, from the cross, from the empty tomb, come home. Put your trust in the blood that was shed on the cross. That deals with the sin. And when you come and make confession and make your way home, my word, life just falls into place. So that's the first come and see, a brand new world order. The world has never been the same again since Jesus came back from the dead. The second come and see is uh, this come and see changed lives in this story of Mary Magdalene. Did you see Melvin Bragg's program? Good Friday lunchtime. It'll probably still be on the BBC iPlayer. And he went through 2,000 years history of how people have seen Mary Magdalene, right down to Lloyd Webber and uh, Tim Rice's um, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. A few years ago, I was going to preach in a church in London. Jan and I arrived at Paddington Station. It was late, too late to get the tube, so we jumped in a taxi. And I said, just told him where I needed to go. I said, I need to get to that church quickly. Now, the next 15 minutes is in a very noisy, fast taxi, a taxi driver speaking to me through the glass. He says, why do you need to get to the church? I said, I'm the preacher, so don't spare the horses. Get me there. He said, well, he said, I've got a theory. I said, what's your theory? He said, well, my theory is this. When Jesus was here on earth, everybody was in. But he said, nowadays, everybody's out until you're invited in. He said, what do you think of my theory? I said, well, I said, I think there's a lot in that. He said, I've got a second theory. I said, what's that? He said, well, I've got a theory that Jesus Christ wasn't dead when he was put in the tomb. And he was strong enough to push the tomb away. He came out, recovered from his death on the cross, fell in love with Mary Magdalene, married her, lived until he was 90, had many children, and they lived happily ever after. What do you think of that story? I said, not as much as I think of your first story. There are some exotic stories about Mary Magdalene. And let me tell you this evening, the place to begin is the Bible. And some of this exotica about Jesus and Mary is nowhere to be found in the Bible. But what you do find is a story of a woman whose life was changed by Jesus. Two Marys come to this empty tomb. We don't know too much about the other one. Possibly the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But the Bible's silent on that. But Mary Magdalene, she was one of dozens of people healed of demon possession. You didn't have to be a, a big sinner just because you had demons possessing your life. didn't say you were a big sinner, but you were a big sufferer. And it says she had seven demons. 
Seven in the Bible always means perfect. So in this situation it means seven demons had her life perfectly under their control. Loved ones who knew her didn't like the look in her eyes. Loved ones who knew her didn't like the way she spoke. Sometimes she was very dangerous and sometimes very frightening. That's not our Mary, they would say. And we could say on her behalf, this was not the way God intended. Something has gone badly wrong here. And it was as if she was living in a prison until Jesus met her. And Jesus comes and does what no other person has been able to do for her. He drives those demons out of her life. He comes right into the prison which have imprisoned her and sets her free. And she just feels the chains falling off. She walks out of the prison, out of a life which has been no hope and no life to live worth living. And she walks into a brand new world. That's what Jesus did for her. And then on the day that he died, she's standing at a distance with other women on Calvary, watching the man who had delivered her from evil as if all the evil in the world is suddenly descending on his life. Hearing the mockers as they come by and said, he saved others, he can't save himself, knowing that that's exactly what had happened to her. You know what the Bible says, for a number of hours, thick darkness descended over Calvary where Jesus died. I just have the highest admiration for Mary Magdalene. She had lived a life of darkness until Jesus came and changed her. She lived the kind of life where demons just possessed her and made her somebody else and she's been delivered from all that. But she walks into the darkness of Calvary to be near to Jesus in his neediest hour. And that isn't it. She walks with others and from a distance watches where he's laid and then on Easter Day back more into darkness. She didn't know Jesus was going to come alive. She didn't know she'd find an empty tomb or she would meet the risen Lord. This, to me, is the sign of a changed life. It's changed lives like the baptismal candidates that God puts in them the courage to come and say, I'm going to speak publicly for Jesus and I'm going to be baptized in these waters tonight. That's the sign of a changed life. And all the days that are ahead, there are some who have been Christians many years. I turned up before I came this evening. A little book I was given on the night I was baptized by my mum and dad. 3rd of May, 1959. Queen Victoria was on the throne. I know. That's how many years ago I started following Jesus. And Mary, for however long, she comes. And what happens? She not only sees the empty tomb, she meets the living Lord. Did you think it was a bit... OTT, when the two Marys, when they meet Jesus, who incidentally, the word greetings is what we would say, hi. No flash of lightning, no dazzling clothes. It's just a simple, everyday greeting. Hi. And they suddenly remember this is the Jesus who has changed their lives. And what do they do? They fall at his feet and clasp him and just worship him. OTT. Not if your life's been changed. Only those whose lives have been changed understand that kind of reaction. Stories told of a pastor in a fairly run-down area where they had a communion service at every service. 
Because they actually wanted to say to people, by the bread and the wine of the communion table, Jesus has done something for us that nobody else can do for us. And they did that every time. They wanted people to see the bread and the wine to remind them he does something that nobody else can do. One day a lady came in off the streets. Her life was a bit like Mary Magdalene, broken, battered, disfigured. She was literally shaking in the pew. And the pastor said, um, if you want to love Jesus for the first time, then feel free to take the bread and the wine. And in this church, they, as in this church, they took the bread around and the little cups of wine. When it came to this woman, there were the loaf and the bits of bread and she just grabbed a handful of bread and put it in her lap and began just eating. She wasn't physically hungry. And when the cups came round, she didn't take one cup as we normally do, she took seven and laid them out in the row and downed each one in turn. She wasn't physically thirsty. She was simply saying that if this Lord Jesus is the one who has done so much for me, then I want as much as I can get of him in my life right now. That's devotion. It's falling at the feet of Jesus and clasping his feet. You only understand that if your life has been turned around by Jesus. So come and see a changed life. And finally, come and see change priorities. This morning in the church where Janet and I were spending Easter day, they went around the church beforehand and they hid 30 or 40 Easter eggs. And then at the early part of the service, they sent the children out and they said, go and find the eggs. Well, I tell you what, they sniffed them out in a matter of minutes. And they all landed down on the front of the church, looking, clutching their eggs, looking as pleased as you can on Easter day. And then the youth pastor, happy birthday, Steve Campion, by the way, the youth pastor said, now I want you to do something very important. He said, I want you to go back into the congregation and give the eggs away. You should have seen the faces of those children. They had just hunted these eggs down. They had just been licking their lips at the thought of, on the way to Sunday school, we can scoff that. But they did what was told. The girls were quicker than the boys, I have to say that. But eventually all the eggs that had been brought in went out and were given away. That is the message of Easter. Come and see is go and tell. I want to say this to the baptismal candidates. Jesus is saying to you this evening, it isn't just a wonderful spiritual experience that he wants to give you. He doesn't want you just to go out and say Jesus is alive and he forgives sins and you can know God and when you die you can go to heaven. All those are wonderful truths. The power of sin and death have been broken. Praise God, this is Easter Day. But the biggest message of Easter Day is this. Go and tell. There is a work for Jesus, none but you can do. See, when Jesus says, I'm going to Galilee, Galilee was the place where there would be the longest goodbye. Forty days. Forty days where Jesus would remember and remind them of all the teaching, of all the promises, and forty days when he would say to them, there's a work for you to do. You've seen what I've done. You must now go and do greater things, but wait for the Spirit. Don't do it in your own strength. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, his final word, I want you to go into all the world. 
Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe everything I have commanded. There's a work for you to do. See, we don't need to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy heaven. We have to now, on earth, build little colonies of heaven. Every word you speak this week as a believer, every deed you do, every act of kindness, every peacemaking initiative, every time you speak up for Jesus, that's bringing and building a little colony of heaven on earth. You're giving people a foretaste of how one day it will be like. There is a work for you to do. Find out what it is and then with all your might do it. That's what being a Christian disciple is. I've got a hero of mine, met him many, many years ago. Didn't meet him, but met him in writing, that is. P.T. Forsyth. And he said this, the final question, the ultimate question that God may put to us at the end of time will be this. Not how many are your sins or how much sacrifice have you made. This is the question he'll put. On which side have you stood? Under which king have you served? Where is your home to where your heart returns? What's the direction of your life? And for the baptized, I would say these are the questions for you. There's a work for you to do under the banner of the king. You're not going out to make Jesus king. You're going out because the king has sent you. And you've been baptized this evening into a different story. It's a completely upside down different story to the one the world tells. And you've been baptized into that. So you must go and live it. Got a friend of mine, a man called Jamie. Andy knows him very well. Jamie was a street fighter. And if you see him, I was with him about uh, six weeks ago. There is still a, uh, a huge scar which runs down the side of his face. And that's as a result of being a street fighter. One day he was on the streets of Bounceable, been heavily drinking, got into a fight with some off-duty soldiers. And a bottle was around and the broken bottle was slammed into his face. And he is literally bleeding to death on the streets of Barnstable. He had never said a prayer in his life. And yet this was his prayer on that day. Save me and I'll serve you. And then he lapsed into unconsciousness. They rushed him off and he was in intensive care for a while. They stitched him up. And in the weeks afterwards, he can distinctly remember God coming alongside him in his bed saying to him, I've done my part, will you do yours? The prayer was, save me and I'll serve you. God said to Jamie, I've saved you. Now will you serve me? And he now serves not as a street fighter, but as a pastor of Tynmouth Baptist Church. He's my friend, he's some of your friends, and he speaks to me this evening as God speaks to you. A special day for these candidates. A special day for the world. This is Easter Day. A special day for you. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Join me in bowing in prayer.